Good morning. Happy Monday. I have Neural Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Quick housekeeping item. iFast University members, we have a call today at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please don't forget about that. If you're not a member of iFast University, please go to iFastUniversity.com. Get yourself signed up and join us for that call at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today. Digging into today's Q&A. Uh, this is with Colin. This is a great Q&A that unpacks a lot of stuff. So we talked about iterative anatomy, we talked about knees and elbows, um, when to utilize um, certain activities such as a split squat versus say a low oblique versus high oblique sit. So, so that clarification alone is probably worth the price of admission. Um, so again, we unpacked a lot of stuff here in a very short period of time that many of you will find useful. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it because I delete everything else. Please include your question in the email, if you will. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everyone have an outstanding Monday, and I will see you tomorrow. Then you can cue, you can cue your hand contact just like you cue a foot contact to turn the radius, turn the radius, because the hand is now fixed. It will not go into its IR representation. So if I capture hand cues with the support underneath the, the arch of the hand, so to speak, you can still cue the, you can still cue your IRs. Which is fact, the, we, do that all the, we do that all the time in like a low oblique set. Right. Um, is there any other contact I want to maintain like more towards like the thumb side? Just besides well, like- you wanna, Do you want to drive, do you want to drive that position in a hand that is internally rotated relative to the radius? I don't want to drive that position. That is correct, sir. So, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, so you got to, again, hand, hands are just a little weird because of the capacity to do that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, when I'm, when you're using an oblique sit, you're in that relatively sideline position. So it's you gonna are. be more biased towards like a middle propulsion representation. What other points of contact would I want someone to make like further up the chain at the elbow and at the pelvis, right? Um, to make sure I'm capturing that like middle representation where they're actually imposing the IR. And so so, so that, now the question is, do I need to do something first? Right. So, so you have to understand what your orientation at the elbow is. So yeah. if I'm doing a high oblique sit, okay. If I'm doing a high oblique sit with a, with a late representation of the elbow, do I want to put them in a high oblique sit? No. Okay. So if you had a twist in the knee, so let's, 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 let's use a little bit of Camilla's question. Okay. If you had a if you had a twist in the knee, so you had your distal femoral uh, uh, IR and, and and proximal tibia ER, okay. Yep. All right. If you had this a similar orientation at the elbow, and you put somebody in a high oblique sit, did you help yourself if you're trying to capture like a middle representation? No, because you can get okay. all the IRs superimposed. Okay. So, okay. All right. Sorry. Right. So so now so. So how can we take similar concept? So we don't have to take them out of sideline. Yeah. Okay. But we know the high oblique sit is out, right? Because of the elbow position in the high oblique sit. 
it's yeah. going to push them right back where, where they started, which is what I do not want to do. What's the easiest way to, to, to change the activity, to give me the capacity to change? Taya, you're going to say it out loud for me? Or you're just going to, you're just going to mimic on, uh, on the screen there. Actually, I was just thinking about it, so I'm just, I don't know what I should say, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Colin, where do I need to go to get to, to be able to change the orientation of the elbow? Uh, you need to drop down into a low so. There you go. Real, it's, it's, that, it's that simple. It's that simple, right? Yeah. So, so, you, so you, you put the elbow in a more middle representation Right. And as soon as you set that up, you have just changed the you just changed the rotation through the elbow, didn't you? Yeah. That's how you that's how you make these decisions. Right. And now now your programming becomes coherent with the goal. Yeah. You get it? I think I think I gotta try and answer some questions on my own. Okay. Um, um hang on. Can can I can I pick on you just a little bit? Like can you do a quick demo? Yeah. I need you to stand up for just a second. So we're going to use your right knee as an example, okay? So so put your uh, put your uh, right leg in a late representation and left leg in an early, just like by taking a step forward with your left foot. Awesome. Okay. So back leg is now in a late representation, right? You get it? Okay. So this is where you get normal uh, femoral IR distal femoral IR, proximal tibia ER, okay? You follow? Yeah. Okay, so lock that right, that right knee out straight for me. Okay, is that the position? So if you're trying to untwist that knee, is that the position you wanna put the knee in? No. No, of course not. Doesn't make much sense, right? You just constrained it into the position that you're trying to get it out of, yeah. okay? Okay, so if that was your hand, if that was your right hand and right arm supporting you in an oblique sit, would that be the best choice? No, which would be no. the high oblique sit. Right, right. That, so you're standing in a high oblique sit, right? Okay. Get it? Okay, flip-flop your legs. Bend your knees. Bend them, bend them, like bend them, bend them. So make it obvious so everybody can see. Like a split squat, like a split squat. Uh -huh. like a split squat. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Did I just did I just reduce the constraint on the knee and give me an opportunity to go to middle? Yeah. There you go. And so now it's just a matter of cueing, cueing the the knee orientation. In this case, it would be the elbow orientation. So you construct it the same way. You start you start with your foot, right? Your foot, mm. and then your knee, and then your hip. Yeah. Get it? I'm working on it. Do you understand? Do you understand that if you lock that elbow straight, you have constrained it into a position? Yeah. Do you understand? understand. That? Do you understand that you most likely, because of the hand orientation giving you the hints, that you had an anterior orientation of the thorax, which was going to kick your your elbow into a late representation. I do now. You say what? I, I said that I do now. Yeah. Okay. The, when you're in the when you're in the lead leg of the of the uh, split squat, the IR is coming from the ground up. Okay. Okay, easier to capture. Yeah. Easier to capture. That's why you want to think about using the 
again, if we're talking about a knee, we're going to use it at the lead leg on the split squat. If we're talking about the low oblique, then you're just going to drop down from elbow extended, if you will, to yeah. elbow bent. Yeah. yeah. So then if a more extended representation of the elbow is that later representation, that's why elbow flexion is your ability to capture an early representation of the elbow. It's like you got a, it's like you have a bunch of principles or something, Bill. <laughs>
What do you mean? It's a big area. There's a lot of stuff there. So, so what are you not capturing? Like when I was observing and like palpating, I I thought like the ins the inside part of the hamstrings was not doing the job that it should. Awesome. Okay. So now we have clarity. Okay. What is she lacking at that hip? What is she is she lacking ER or IR? Uh ER. You had a 50-50 shot. And I blew it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't blow it. We just learned something. That's all. Okay. So so she's got to be able to internally rotate. She's got to, she's got, and we're talking about the hip now, okay? Mm -hmm. Relative to the pelvis. Um, so so the thing that you're going to want to do is making sure that she's capturing her distal to proximal cues. So you got to start with her foot representation and say, okay, do I really have the best foot representation? So um, when you're teaching people to internally rotate the hip, what, what foot contacts do you need to you're, you're recruiting the right musculature? Medial heel and the base of the toe. Yeah, the first first metatarsal head and, and medial heel. Now, does that mean that you give up the fifth metatarsal head and the lateral heel? No. Absolutely not. Okay. Because that, that would be an orientation of the pelvis to create the IR, which is what some people do, right? And so um, this is why we talk about recapturing early representations because that's that first superimposition of internal rotation. This is where you can easily teach somebody to capture those foot cues because there's less load on the foot. And so they can actually feel things. It's like when you push on a foot really hard, you tend to not feel things as well. And, and so now you got to teach her how to capture that, those foot cues first, because if she doesn't have a foot cue, ain't no way she's going to create the, the proximal representation that you're looking for. So you need that, that proximal IR you're gonna to have to do it through the foot first. Teach her that, mm -hmm. and then then you should she should be able to sense when she captures that, because the muscle activity will increase dramatically. And if you're if you're palpating, if you're doing that, if you're palpating, you'll know right away, and you'll be able to tell if it's an orientation or not because she'll she'll push the the inside of her foot into the ground, but you still won't feel the muscle activity that you want, because she'll still be er and just mm -hmm. oriented over that foot. Okay. So uh, since she has more feet towards pronation, could I help her with the, with the band technique that you described uh, a few calls ago to Zach, where you start at the lateral my, my, uh, ankle and go over the uh, calcaneus up to the tibia? I, it, like to, to teach her how to hold position? Yeah. No, yeah, just care. help her with the Luca tape. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do that if yeah. Um, yeah, if you if you have the those skills, absolutely. Sure, why not? Yeah. Because so so think about this for a second. So so she's got a positive pistol test. I, I'm sorry, she's got a positive apple test. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like so this like you you just describe somebody that has a positive apple test. So um, how can you constrain that foot? There's like any number of ways to constrain the foot. So she doesn't promote the orientation. So she's orienting into IR. You need to teach her the foot contact. 
So she doesn't orient. So she's capturing relative motion, IR, superimposed on a position of ER. So she needs, okay. an early, yeah. she, needs early, she needs an early representation in that foot. She needs an early representation in that hand. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. You, get it? you totally get it. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. It is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow's Thursday and as usual, 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Uh, great people, great questions, a lot of great discussion of late. People are really catching on to things and asking deeper and deeper questions. So please join us 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time tomorrow morning. The link will be on my professional Facebook page and I will see you there. Okay, digging into today's Q&A. Uh, this is from Sandus and Sandus has a, re a really good question. Um, he's been watching some of the videos and seeing some of the changes that are possible um, with some of the interventions that we do and uh, um, seeing these immediate changes. And so his question was basically like how fast can you make these changes and how do you know how how fast you can make these changes and so this is a discussion of some of the constraints and so we have slow changing constraints and we have fast changing constraints and typically in real time what we're doing is we're manipulating the faster changing constraints and we, we talk about that as how we separate those out and then there's an element of experience that has to go with this and so this is this is the time factor and this is where you're going to gain that specific type of knowledge that's going to allow you to make these changes and shift probabilities in your favor so this is actually a great question for a lot of people especially young coaches that are, that are just beginning to learn and understand how a lot of this movement actually takes place. So thank you, Sandus. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. Please include your question in the email. Uh, everybody have an outstanding Wednesday, and I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Uh, when I, like... I watched some of your videos um, when you perform techniques on people and then uh, they manage to get like their, let's say, they do a suitcase carry, right? On the right side? Yes, sir. And in one technique, they may manage to gain like their full internal rotation back, right? Yes. But uh, then I also think uh, for other people, it doesn't work like that. They might need to uh, do multiple techniques. So right. My question is like, how fast should changes happen if that makes sense how fast should they happen as fast as they they will allow which is a, like like that's that's the that's the smart alecky answer unfortunately right um and so so the output is based on and this goes back to matt's question actually so the output is based on whatever they perceive and then whatever their constraints will allow so what, what have you learned up to this point determines your experience and then how you perceive sensations. So, so I could give somebody a, a suitcase carry and do exceptionally well and, and literally recapture all of the relative motions that I'm trying to gain. And then I could do the exact same thing with someone else who doesn't have the same experience, um, thinks they understand what I want them to do. And so then their perception of instructions is different. So their execution is a little bit different. Their sensory inputs are different. 
and then fail miserably. So part of this is, is um, when you're interacting with somebody, you have to sort of get to know how they behave. And we do that just through coaching and time and experience and repetition and such. So there are, there are two types of constraints by definition in the literature. Structural constraints, which are kind of the obvious part. That's how you're built, how you're made. So we talk about archetypes and configurations and connective tissues, et cetera. And then there are, I have to use the F word here. So the functional constraints are the things that change that fast. If it's a functional constraint that is the limiting factor, those things change instantaneously if you give the correct input to get the correct output. Okay, so it may just be a, a, a sensory cue, whether it be through any of your senses. <clears throat> so touch, whatever it might be, okay? And so if you have the correct influence to produce the favorable outcome, you will get the favorable outcome instantaneously if it is one of those things that changes that fast. If I have a structural constraint, so a uh, torn ligament, that is a, that is a structural constraint that changes. How fast can I change that ligament? I'm asking you a question. Probably not that fast. Probably not that fast because again, it's structure that would need to, to heal, change itself, etc. right? If it has the capacity to do that. Okay, sometimes we have to do a surgery to help us do that, right? Um, but, but again, that's the difference. So the things that are not, so structure changes a little bit slower, okay? And in some cases, a lot slower than something that would be like I said, almost instantaneous. If, if, I, uh, if I come up behind you and I scare you, right? Your heart rate goes up really, really fast, right? That's almost instantaneous. That's one of those constraints that, can, that I can fluctuate very, very easily and very, very quickly. I say, the wrong, I say the wrong thing to you and you become defensive. That's instantaneous. So again, when those are the limiting factors, those things change very, very fast. Does that, does that make sense? Can I add something? Yeah, of course. Uh, let's say the structure isn't the problem. Can you get closer to your microphone for me, please? Yeah. Does this make it better? That's, that's better. Maybe different. Okay. So let's say the structure isn't the problem. Uh, is there an easier way to sell if the technique you are doing uh, is incorrect or it's maybe uh, needed to try another technique? Okay, so if you, if you perform an intervention and you think you coached it well and you think that they understand what you want and you get the appropriate cues, then you would have to do something else. And that's just kind of logical, right? So, and, and again, that's the difficulty at first. This is where experience and repetition comes into play. So if, if you're... Let's just say you're seeing your very first client, okay, ever, first client ever. And then a couple of years later, you're seeing your 500th client. Which one do you think you're gonna do better with? The 500 one. Right, because you've got more repetition, you've had more exposures. And so your understanding of what's possible 
And then what provides the best influence in most circumstances is just you're, you're just more refined in your intentions, your understanding, and then you'll know better whether they're understanding what you want as well. And you'll still screw up. We always do, right? Because nobody's, nobody's perfect at this. But the, but the point is, is like there's an element of experience that goes along with this. It would be really nice if there was a cookbook that says uh, rule number one to know if you're doing everything correctly. Rule number two, uh, if, right? And there's certain things that we can say that are principled, right? I need to get the correct inputs to get the right output. But it's going to take some time for you to understand whether you're doing everything to the best of your capabilities. And then as you learn, those capabilities will improve as well. So a lot of questions that, that people have are, are associated with time. Hey, Taya, can I pick on you for just a sec? So I, were we talking about heel to butt measures and stuff last time? And, and I said, you know, after you do the 500 one, you're probably gonna get pretty good at identifying what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. was that, it, was, it was something like that, wasn't it? Like we were talking yeah. about like, like, how do you know when you, you have that moving yeah. Yeah, you have the patella moving laterally. It's like, well, do it 500 times and then compare each one to the next one. And, and that's how you, you're gonna gain some experience. And so, so your question, Sandis, is kind of along those lines. It's like, number one, do the best you can do, understand the things that you can, execute, pay attention, and do a lot of them, right? And, and that's where your confidence will grow. That's where your understanding will grow. And then as you do that, you will shift probabilities in your favor. You will always have failures. Okay, but the failures will teach you a lot if you pay attention. Okay, but see, that's why this is hard. Okay, we can talk like it's easy, right? But it's always hard. Cool? Yes? Thank you. Awesome. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. Yeah. On that, on that high oblique set that he was talking about, is it possible that you could um, increase the, the bend backwards in the sacrum? Like if you did too, too late of a representation of it? Yeah. So like you're sitting set. back too far? Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, this, this is this is where your your coaching cues come into play rather significantly. But that, I mean, you know, Matt, it, it's like we're 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 telling an old story here. It's like it's always about how you do stuff, right? Um, the the idea is to understand the principle, and then you determine what you think you see, and then that determines how you're going to cue this. And so your hand placement, like when you're when we're talking about high oblique set your hand placement is going to matter. The direction that your hand is turned is going to matter. The place that you're, you're applying weight bearing, the hip orientation, the lower extremity orientation is going to matter. It's like, so do I need more ER? Do I need more IR coming, coming from distal to proximal? That's going to determine what type of an oblique sit you're going to use, right? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about somebody I had doing a high oblique sit and ended up pushing them later. And I was like, oh, man, I messed you just, that. You, you, probably, you probably leaned them back a little bit too far. You know what I mean? They were just propped backwards a little bit. Yeah, and they, they even couldn't even access more of a middle representation of a high oblique sit. So I was like, well, that's wrong. So I was just trying to so, figure it out. We, what, what, what were you doing in it? So you had them in a high oblique. What activity were you doing? I had them in a high, a high oblique, but 
they couldn't. I was on the right side. And but I like, were they doing? Were they doing? Were they just sitting there? Were they doing a press? Were they doing a pull? What were they? What were they doing? It, it was just. It was just a high oblique. Just, just okay. Yeah. Right. You probably just had them back a little bit too far. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. They were leaning backwards too much, and they, they were not leaning into the sit. Like you need to get a little bit more pressure. <clears throat> sorry, a little bit more pressure from ischium to hand. Yeah, I, I had. They were sitting too far back from the ischium, I think, and I think I just kept it. It like pushed them later, and I was like, right. So, so you, so when when I say hand to ischium or ischium to hand, do you understand what I'm what I'm saying? It's like it's like where's the where does the greatest pressure need to be? If it's on hand, you're probably leaning back too far. If it's on ischium, then you're pushing the hand in. You're pushing towards the ischium, and you're probably going to get the the associated uh, change that you're looking for. I see it. Thank okay. you, man. Yep. Thank you. Hey. Uh... Hi, sir. Greetings. Uh, just wanted to say, really appreciate these calls. They really helped me get understand the model better than just from the YouTube videos. I appreciate you all being here. Um, first, I just have a follow up to Max's uh, question of like about the high oblique. I was just wondering when you sit a little bit too backwards, if that would be good for a narrow to bias more of that mutation in the pelvis or no? And band of the ischium. Okay, so if if you sit back, if, so if you sort of tuck your hips underneath you, like in your chair, you can you can kind of create that little sit back like that. Um, mm -hmm. You probably don't want to close off that space on a narrow ISA if you're trying to make a favorable change because they're already kind of there, right? By structure. So let me let me. Hang on. Okay. Yeah, I thought that if so if if, if, if this space. If this space is closed and I put pressure on that space, I, I, my concern is that that would just enhance what I'm already looking at there, right? So what I would mm -hmm. want to do, what I would want to do is I would want to create that kind of a representation, right? So I, I would want to make sure that I'm not compressing the, the sacrum underneath at all. So I want to try to be in that position there, okay? The really simple way to do that is to extend the leg on this side out in front of them. Okay. okay. Does that make sense? Do you understand? Yeah. That? Yeah. I was just imagining if you go a little bit backwards that you get the representation that you just showed. Okay. Right. So so if you're so if you're in the sort of like cross leg high oblique sit representation and you just kick the bottom leg straight out in front of you, mm -hmm. you that's actually part of the solution that you're looking for in your description. Right. And, and again, I would want to avoid the rock back on the narrow ISA under most circumstances. Yeah. Okay. So in this case, you would always cue the position of the pelvis, not the push from the hand in an oblique Well, you seat. need both. You need, you need mm -hmm. both of that, those representations because I could accidentally push myself into uh, a position that I don't want to use. So if I push myself too far in one direction, I can I can promote more bend because I it becomes more and more difficult for me to to create the internal pressure in the right direction. So if you're too saggy, right? So if I'm too saggy on uh, you know, so if I if I sag into the the oblique this way, right? Then I create an expansion through the 
uh, axial skeleton in that direction, which means that when I when I try to create internal pressure, guts move in that direction, which is probably what I don't want to do because I'm trying to get the guts to go straight down through into the pelvis to create the internal pressure to create the shape change from the inside out. Okay, I get it. Good morning, happy Friday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. For those of you on the two-week sprint, this is your recovery and reflection weekend. So please make sure you attend to that. Um, kind of busier Friday than normal. We're going to dig straight into today's Q&A. Um, this is initially from Lalo. Lalo's working with a uh, power lifter that has a little bit of right anterior hip pain associated with certain activities. Um, big deficits in, in hip internal rotation. Started to use a sled drag um, as a potential solution, which is actually not a bad bad selection, but did have some symptomatic reproduction. And so we went through a couple of sequences that might be a little bit more viable um, under the circumstances and based on the findings that we had um, with this individual. So a lot of times it's just the direction of the sled drag that we're gonna have to use initially to recapture some of that missing internal rotation, then we can apply it in, in other uh, directions if we're gonna use sled drags as the solution. So it was a really good question. And then that led to a follow-up from Zach that led us to understanding a little bit more about the archetype, a little bit about um, if we group powerlifters in, into a group, we could say that, okay, they're gonna drive high force, um, uh, always under load, very middle propulsive biased. And so then we talk about like, okay, well, what is the potential of this individual? Where are we gonna be working mostly in regards to the propulsive phases and, and what is our potential outcome? So again, um, two, two really good uh, influential questions um, for common issues that many people are addressing in the gym. So thank you guys for those. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. Include your question in the email. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Um, don't forget, go to the YouTube channel and subscribe so you can get all of these videos anytime that you want. The uh, podcast will be up on Sunday, and I will see you all next week. What's up? All right. Um, so... I had a power lifter that had a, he was benching and his left foot was um, out, right? And when he racked the bar, every time he would rack the bar, he would rack it on his left. Like the bar would be set left, right? Yeah. And then, well, he didn't move. I mean, he, he's a, he's a, he's close to a record. So he, it doesn't look like he's one-sided when he's actually benching. It's just, he racks on the like left uh -huh. and then his left foot was out. So um, we were talking about his deadlift and he was telling his coach that he got an impingement on his right side when he did a sumo deadlift. So um, hip impingement on the right side. So I tested him. Uh, so I did a little bit of a chest board. He's wide, obviously, but, you know, it was obvious to me he was wide and just put him down on the floor and he had a negative IR on his right leg. I had never seen that, right? Yeah. Um, and then his, he, he had excessive ER. Yeah. Um, and his left side had the opposite, right? So he had a little bit of IR, like, you know, three, five degrees, I'm going to say, you know, off of just me talking. But um, then he had ER, it was about 40 degrees. So it was like, all right, this looks very different one side to the other. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out if I wanted to right 
to left um, sled drag or left to right sled drag. So I didn't know how to think of that, but I wanted him to go, all right, well, let's, let's start with right to left sled drag with right hand. And I put the sled on the hand because he's a power lifter and I figured I might as well keep the thorax. Stick straight, him in the middle. Right? Stick him in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then I, I just thought like I doubted myself and I was like, let's go left to right. And then his hip impinged when he went left to right. Yeah. So, so hang on. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's your, let's, let's think this through a little bit. Okay. So if he's sumoing and he's got a, he's got a, you said he's got a negative IR representation on the right side. Right. Okay. Squished front to back. Hips are pointing out towards the sides and up right. and up. Okay. So you got to bring him down and back on the right side first. Okay. If you were going to do this with a sled drag, um, you, Lalo, you ever been in a wedding? Yes. Do you know how, you know, like when they walk down the aisle and they go one step, step, and then one step, step, kind of like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here's what you do. You do the wedding march backwards with the sled, stepping back with the right leg only. So you go step back on the right, left leg comes to even. Step back on the right, left leg comes to even. Step back on the right, left leg comes to even. Okay? Okay. You do that first. Okay? Okay. The way that you know that you're going to be successful, okay, is you're going to pick up IR on the right side. Okay. Okay? You got to do that first. So when you say, I'm, I'm sorry, just trying to think of it. When you say the hips are like up, you're talking about it's an exhale pelvis. The hip, the hip is, so it's, it's compressed. So, so when you compress front to back and then you, when you try to find the external rotation space, so the socket starts to point outward more. Okay. Right. And then it, I'm turns, to imagine the it turns, it turns out and up. That's just the direction that the socket points to try to get external rotation when you're compressed anterior to posterior. Okay. okay. So, so you got to bring it down and back to capture the internal rotation on that right hip first. You just have to, re you're reverse engineering the, the, the pelvic shape. But if you're going to use a okay. sled, like I said, if you're going to use a sled drag, it's, it's like a backwards red wedding march with just the right foot step. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Because when we did the side one, um, and then it started impinging left to right, I stopped him. So we went right to left and we went a couple of sets of that. And then he said, I feel a lot better, but I don't, yeah. I, I accidentally did something, you know? Well, again, but the, the thing that you got to be careful of is that you're not creating the orientation when you go straight into the right leg. I would go, I would take him backwards first. Okay. Okay. Because because you're going to create you're going to create the the pelvic representation that gets him the the internal rotation back. Okay. okay, and do I want the sled to be pulled from the hip, or should I hold it in hands? You can actually so so again because he's a power lifter. What I would do so so chances are when he does he use a mixed grip when he deadlifts? Uh, you know what I don't know. Okay. Um, 
if you, if you, you, cause you can, you can give him handles and you can turn the handles, which I think would be the opposite of what he does for a deadlift. So I'm thinking that he's using like a, like a, like a right-hand pronation, left-hand supination on his deadlift. That would be what my estimation would be based on his hip measures. Um, I would flip-flop his hands. And I, again, I would just step him back on the right side to start. You have a video on that. Something like right, that. I I, somewhere, yeah. Yeah, there's, I, I think, I, but I'm stepping back with both sides, but you can see me changing right. the position of the handles. Yeah. So, but you're just going to bias it in one direction, right? Because you're only trying to recapture that right side first. Right. Okay. okay. All right. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm going to yeah. do that. Hang on. We're halfway there. <laughs> okay. Then you got to create the turn. Okay. So, okay. So you could literally just do backward sled drags, potentially, potentially, and address this. So he's going backwards. And, he, and again, you do the right step, left foot even, right step, left foot even. And then as he recaptures internal rotation on the other side, then you can start to create the reciprocal step backwards and then create the turn from side to side. Okay. Okay. That's a big fat maybe, but again, if again, since you brought up sled drags, let's make that the solution um, for our discussion. Doesn't mean that that's what you would necessarily have to use, but if you want to use that, that's what I would do. Okay, yeah. I one more thing I left out was um, the reason. I think one of the reasons why I gave him the sled drag is because I tested his dorsiflexion on his right side was limited. He had a better one on the left, so then yeah. I thought about okay, well the sled drag will promote all these things but yeah um yeah okay i'm gonna i'm gonna work on that backwards yeah, first like, and just, then just sideways just, the way to so think in steps um backwards with right foot only then alternate and then turn him uh go right to left love it thank you okay. appreciate that bro. Hey, man. got it so would you would you stick with the once you went with like that wedding one right foot only and then yep. you said potentially start going right and left. Uh -huh. Would you do that as opposed to just going straight to like a left lateral sled drag after the right only to try to keep him more towards middle? Because he's a power lifter and just see, yeah. see if it gets so, him enough. And if it yeah. doesn't get him like, enough, then you got to send him left. Yeah, you're not going to, you're not, based on, based on the degree of, of limitation in the description, I don't think you're going to move this guy back towards like a, um, uh, like an er a true early representation or anything like that. I think what you're going to end up doing is you're just going to keep him, you know, you know, you keep him in the middle and then buy him as much plus or minus on that. Right. For someone that you feel like the, the degree of limitation is so significant that you're not going to get him anywhere close to early. Does that mean that you really don't even play around with early biased activities or is it just that like the, you, you could do early with the understanding of it's not going to get him there, but okay. So, so, so keep in mind when we talk about early, it's, it's the, so we can go back to, uh, uh, Taya's question, I think when we're talking about open and closed chain, right. When we're talking about the direction of the force. And, and so, um, you're using, you're using a distal to proximal, um, force production, right. To promote that early representation he's he's going to be a middle guy 
you're just trying to get the earlier representation of the forces that are being applied so he can create some of the relative motion that he needs to, to manage that so he's not creating the focal load where everything is just superposed. 